A Grand Unified Theory of Corruption and Treachery. This is a book review of Gold Warriors by Sterling and Peggy Seagrave, originally published in 2002, updated in 2010, available on Internet Archive for free. Check the HTML version of this article for the link. How did our CIA become so immensely powerful and so immensely corrupt? This book tells a story that feels essentially relevant to me. Nevertheless, it's a story that has not been incorporated into narratives of any of the skeptical and well-informed independent journalists whom I most respect. It's 20 years old now, and the book is as exceedingly readable as it is meticulously documented. Synopsis. Through wars of conquest beginning in the 19th century, Japan systematically looted staggering quantities of gold from China, Korea, and Southeast Asia. Anticipating defeat in World War II, members of the Japanese imperial family sent the emperor's cousin, Prince Chichibu, to bury gold and jewels at dozens of remote sites on occupied Philippine islands. At the conclusion of the war, the driver of Chichibu's jeep was captured and tortured to disclose the location of some of the underground sites. In the Seagrave's account, the amount of gold is many hundreds of thousands of tons, equivalent in value to the GDP of the entire world today. A portion of this loot funded the Black Eagle Trust, a secret account used to create the CIA and support its clandestine operations, fomenting wars, overthrowing popular governments around the world on behalf of the world's largest corporations. The M Fund was used to kickstart, quote, democracy in Japan by supporting the election of war criminals and reliable anti-communists, Another major share passed through the personal holdings of Ferdinand Marcos, an American-supported president and then-dictator after his term expired in the Philippines from 1965 to 1986. Other beneficiaries included evangelist Sun Myung Moon, Vice President Richard Nixon, mobster Meyer Lansky, and Pope Pius XII. In the Seagraves' account, Everyone who came in contact with this treasure was corrupted, participating in murder, treachery, and unspeakable cruelty. My candidate for the greatest evil in the world today would be the CIA. Whether or not you agree, you have to admit, it's a mystery how this organization acquired so much power so fast. Formed in 1947 from the contained World War II spy operation called the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS. The CIA was already overthrowing foreign governments in 1953, 54, and 58, and the American government in 1963. It was the subject of warnings issued by President Truman and by President Eisenhower as he departed in 1961. By the time President Kennedy left office, it was the CIA that escorted him out, and too abruptly for him to have a chance to warn us. He had exclaimed, after he had been deceived in the Bay of Pigs fiasco, that he wanted to 
splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter them into the wind. Who better to place in charge of the Warren Commission investigating his murder than Alan Dulles, who had been CIA chief until JFK fired him after the Bay of Pigs? This book is meticulously referenced with two CDs full of original documents, although I'm not sure the CDs are any longer available. But even more convincing is the level of narrative detail that they offer, detail that may not be relevant to the larger historical perspective, but which makes the volume fun to read as they validate the Seagrave sources. Their two best sources are Ben Valmores and Robert Curtis, both of whom they interviewed extensively. Ben had been a Filipino boy when he was kidnapped by Japanese military officers and recruited to be valet and personal servant to Prince Takeda, cousin of the emperor. Though he was kept against his will, he was treated well and eventually came to be trusted by the royal family as the final surrender of General Yamashita was foreseen, Prince Takeda entrusted Ben with a trunk full of maps with coded instructions for locating all 175 treasure vaults. Ben faithfully buried the trunks as he had been instructed and later resisted many attempts to obtain them by trickery until after Takeda's death in 1992. Curtis, was an American mining engineer hired by Marcos to track down and recover Yamashita's gold, then resmelted into bars that could not be chemically distinguished from the product of Filipino gold mines. Marcos originally promised Curtis a share of the whole, but betrayed him once he had served his purpose. Another source for the book was court records from the case of Rojas versus Marcos. Hawaii, 1998. Rogelio Rojas was a private Filipino citizen and amateur treasure hunter. From the court findings, we read, In 1961, Rojas met a man named Fukugami in Banguio City, who claimed that his father had been in the Japanese army and had drawn a map identifying the location of the legendary Yamashita treasure. Rojas organized a group of partners and laborers to search for the treasure and obtained a permit for the purpose from Judge Pio Marcos, a relative of Ferdinand. Judge Marcos informed Rojas that, in accordance with Philippine law, a 30% share of any discovered treasure would have to be paid to the government. After approximately seven months of searching, the group broke into a system of underground tunnels, Rojas discovered a gold-colored Buddha's statue, which he estimated to be about three feet in height. The statue was extremely heavy. It required ten men to transport it to the surface using a chain-block hoist, ropes, and rolling logs. Although he never weighed the statue, Rojas estimated its weight to be a thousand kilograms, one metric ton. Rojas directed his laborers to transport the statue to his home, and place it in a closet." End of quote from the court findings. For context, a ton of gold at today's price is worth about $50 million, not counting the museum value of an ancient work of art. 
The court document goes on to relate that Rojas's house was raided by government agents. Rojas himself was arrested and tortured. Just at this time, Marcos declared martial law and installed himself as permanent head of the Philippine government after his elected term should have expired. The testimony of Robert Curtis is cited. Curtis had been hired by Marcos originally to process the gold and make it saleable without suspicion. In the end, Marcos didn't treat him much better than he treated Rojas, and that may have motivated him to testify for Rojas when he was plaintiff. Five years after his death, the Hawaiian jury awarded $43 billion to the heirs of Rojas, the largest award in the history of jurisprudence. As the Seagrave book went on to press, they were still trying to collect this award in 2002. The man who tortured Prince Takeda's driver later became a kingpin for distribution of the gold. His name was Severino Santa Romana, or Santi, but he was also known as Jose Antonio Diaz and a dozen other pseudonyms as he opened personal accounts in 42 countries around the world with private understandings about who really had control of the gold. He was known as an agent of the American CIA, but the Seagraves make the case that he was a double agent whose first loyalty was to the Vatican. The involvement of the Pope was discreet and indirect. The Vatican held deposits of Nazi gold in addition, which were retained after the war and received some of Santi's accounts too. After the war, the Italian electorate was leaning too close to socialism for the taste of our CIA, and Operation Gladio was organized to steer Italian politics in a more favorable direction using bribes, assassinations, and psyops. Much of the fuel for this project was siphoned through the Vatican, which made common cause in part because of religion, which is anathema in communist regimes, but in part also for reasons of real politique. Meyer Lansky profited through casinos he operated in the Bahamas, used to launder Nazi loot, as well as Yamashita's gold, on behalf of the CIA. The connection was made by Paul Hellowell, who served as global banker for the OSS and later continued in that role for CIA. Hellowell and Santi's operation was codenamed the Umbrella, with 176 bank accounts all coded and accessed independently by secret agreements. Through the 1950s, the M Fund was administered by Americans and secretly deployed to support the right wing of Japanese politics as a bulwark against communism in Asia. Then Vice President Nixon turned the whole $23 billion over to the temporarily ruling Japanese politicians in exchange for a kickback to his own 1960 presidential campaign. Nixon didn't succeed in 1960, but the $23 billion 1960 dollars has since mushroomed in value, and the M Fund continues to support corruption and distort democracy in Japan today. And Sun Myung Moon? Well, after Marcos was removed from power in 1986, some American entrepreneurs were emboldened to return to the Philippines for treasure hunting activities. One group called Nippon Star, 
was convened and equipped by right-wing American groups, including the John Birch Society and Moon's Unification Church. They recovered a gold-laden freighter that the Japanese Navy had deliberately sunk in Milera Harbor when it became clear that its cargo could not be delivered to Tokyo. The Seagraves repeat stories of individuals who recovered billion-dollar shares of Yamashita's gold and deposited it in vaults of the world's largest and best-known banks. One after another, they returned to reclaim their deposits, only to be told that their certificates were forgeries. The Seagraves conjecture that banks held on to the gold and that bank executives converted the loot to their own accounts. There may be a 9-11 connection as well. E.P. Heidner reports, this is not mentioned by the Seagraves, that the Black Eagle Trust held $240 billion in U.S. Treasury notes, which had been purchased with Yamashita gold money and redeemable on 12 September 2001. In the days following the World Trade Center attacks, the standard procedures for recording bond transactions were suspended, and this wealth was delivered into private hands without a paper trail. By the time that Santi died in 1974, his liver had been destroyed by alcohol and his sanity eroded by stress as well as drinking. He had never lived lavishly, despite the vast wealth under his control. His many identities and reliably subservient behavior make me think of the CIA's MK Ultra program, Mind Control. This speculation is my own and not mentioned in the Seagraves account. In the Bretton Woods Agreement of 1944, why was the U.S. able to set up a system of world trade based on a gold-backed dollar at a fixed $35 per ounce? Why was Japan absolved of making reparation payments to foreigners who were raped and tortured and enslaved during the war, while Germany, in much worse shape financially, was expected to pay reparations? Why was the OSS, which had been created explicitly to provide intelligence for the Second World War, expanded and extravagantly funded after the war had ended? How did large banks come to wield corrupt and surreptitious power in world affairs today? I propose that all these questions may have a single answer. But the most important story, as we've come to expect, is the one we know least about. Some ginormous amount, unimaginable quantity of gold, was used to kickstart the CIA. Money for bribes and dirty tricks and wet work, the CIA code word for murders. And the temptation of officials, domestic and foreign, who might otherwise be inclined toward honesty. Money to overthrow duly elected leaders and support ruthless dictators in lavish style. This year, the son of Ferdinand Marcos returned to power in the Philippines. My suspicion is that the American empire, with its worldwide promotion of international business interests above all else, is built on Yamashita's gold. And I end with a quote from Harry S. Truman's Washington Post editorial. We've grown up as a nation respected for our free institutions and our ability to maintain a free and open society. 
the last thing we need was for the CIA to be seized upon as something akin to a subverting influence in the affairs of other nations. It is being interpreted as a symbol of sinister and mysterious foreign intrigue. Harry S. Truman, Washington Post Editorial, 22 December, 1963.